Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Spencer Graham, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pezek, Toj, and Samuel Chesser for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media. Search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Big Top Scooby-Doo. Step right this way, it's finally the day The circus comes to town We're true to the bill, the acrobats thrill And wild beasts are found All day, child's play, clouds and balloons Fun built on guilt for days Take us away, Billy. I'll take you to a wonderful place, Amelia. The fun capital of the world. Atlantic City! <laughs> That's like saying Toronto is the capital of the world. You know, on the, yeah. on the scale of ridiculous things to say, that Atlantic City is the funnest place on Earth is equivalent to saying that Toronto is the center of the universe. Yeah. Which we are, obviously, but <laughs> other but, people refuse to acknowledge that. No, isn't, like, like, isn't Atlantic City, isn't that just, like, little Las Vegas? Isn't that the way people look at that? Pretty much, yeah. If that, like, if Las Vegas took place in your hometown? It's, uh, it's East Coast Las Vegas. And maybe, and may, it, maybe I'm underselling it. Maybe there's more there than I'm giving it credit for, but it's I would not the funnest place on well, earth. I would argue even this movie does not particularly care about that. Like there is nothing in Big Tot Scooby Doo that is dependent on it taking place in Atlantic City, and yet, inexplicably, fun capital of the world. Do you think Velma was being sarcastic when she said that? She was like, I wanted to go to Paris, but here we are, Atlantic City, fun capital of the world. You see, <laughs> ordinarily, I would say, yeah, definitely, because that makes the most sense to me. But I don't think she was being sarcastic in her tone. I, I feel like that. Like she was just drunk, maybe. No. Rolling into Atlantic City, they got their pre-drink on. Now <laughs> she's just so, everything's fun development now. She was just hyped for Atlantic City in a way that was unneeded. There's Atlantic City's new catchphrase. <laughs> unneeded? <laughs> Single word. Get hyped like it was unneeded yeah. is what I was going for. But okay. I like yours better and snappier. Just bam. <laughs> That'll show them. Um, at first glance, Amelia... This movie does something that I have wanted the movies to do for a long time, 
which is move away from catching an unrelated villain in the first five minutes. Like, this is a trope that I've honestly kind of had enough of in Scooby-Doo. It was fresh in, in a lot of the earlier movies, but it wore out its welcome for me. So I'm actually really glad that this episode starts with, uh, with a more traditional cold open. We see, we see a werewolf. He's stealing some jewels. What's that about? And, and then I'm intrigued for the movie that actually matters. Yeah, I can feel that. It's nice not to just be like, and the Rat King of New York is. Yeah, and, and like that's an avenue for creativity. But you know what? That means you have to come up with two interesting villains per movie. <laughs> and now you can spread that out. Like, I mean, at this point, Scooby-Doo's been around for over 40 years. So, like, it is, it's time to start playing those cards a little closer to the chest. Now, the writer of this one, I believe I saw his name, Doug Langdale. He's, uh, Dave the Barbarian's writer. Creator, is he? right? I'm pretty sure he is. Uh, there, there is some sort of pop-up on Scoobypedia that's preventing me from clicking it, but I will Google his name separately. He has worked with Disney numerous times. And he's also worked with Warner Brothers. Yes, he, he is the Sears creator of Dave the Barbarian. Seen his name a couple of times for writer. I like Doug Langdale. I love Dave the Barbarian, damn it. It deserved more than one season. Disney, you always fucking do this. <laughs> I, I was worried for a second uh, because I saw that he was also the creator of the Earthworm Jim TV series. But no, it is the creator of the Earthworm Jim video games that sucks. Doug Langdale, we can praise openly. Yes, I enjoyed his work. Um, although, <laughs> I'm going to go right to another criticism, because also in my at-first glance, as much as I loved that we had an actual cold open, I did not need it to be filled with your mom jokes. Oh my god, these cops. We'll leave the cops for minor mentions, but my at-first glance is a werewolf has robbed a jewelry store. Yeah. Within 30 seconds of the alarm going off, cops are on the scene. Ridiculous. Cops would not be here this quickly. The alarm was only just tripped, and cops are fucking worthless. <laughs> uh, well, agreed on both points. I, my only thought is that I thought they were security guards. They, and that's why they were there so quickly. But they rolled up in a cop car. Security? Also, they had vehicle? guns, guns. I think mm. the security guard only had a taser. It's America, Amelia. They all have guns. I understand that. I understand America. <laughs> You're glad the wolf wasn't packing heat. <laughs> also, the cops would have shot first, asked questions later. What yeah. is this whole, like, wide stance, gun pointed with your finger off the trigger nonsense I saw? You don't do that for black kids that have bought Arizona iced teas. You're gonna do it for a giant wolf? Fucking cops! Yeah. Fuck the police! They're not good. They're not a, it's not a good profession. You know what is good? The premise? Dark circuit. No, I'm not there yet. Dark circus <laughs> music. Because we get this opening, and it's an adorable animated opening with, like, little little pop-up puppets and texture and popcorn. And there's this very vocal sort of dark circus song playing where it's yeah, like, it's The circus comes to town. I don't think that was the tune. The no. tune was banging. It and was. And I don't want to dance to whatever the fuck you my, were just singing. My song was much more rank and bass. <laughs> This is a kickin' opening tune, and I love yeah. the separate animated style that this era of movies gets. This one wasn't as uh, 
it wasn't as clean as some of the other openings. Like, the other openings kind of make me think, like, 1960s for mm-hmm. some reason, for, like, Bewitched and I Dream a Genie type style. But Very this one true. had, like, a scrapbook feel. Yeah, and you know what? I think a that was on purpose. feel. Obviously, yeah. it was on purpose, <laughs> yeah, silly. You... People don't make movies <laughs> by accident. Oh, shit. I made it with a collage style. Fuck. <laughs> Good point. Um, I will redeem myself by reading you the premise of Big Top Scooby-Doo. The gang go undercover at the Brancusi Traveling Circus. When a werewolf has appeared and is stealing jewelry from the audience members while turning the performers into werewolves. Meanwhile, Shaggy and Scooby's friendship is in trouble when Shaggy starts taking credit for Scooby's talent. Gotta get that B-plot in there. Gotta get a B-plot. Uh, I don't like this B-plot. No. we It's one we've seen before. It's old. It's old hat. So, the Shaggy-Scooby shenanigans. We'll start here. Shaggy is excited to be in Atlantic City because his favorite band is playing here. Wolf's Moon. Some sort of uh, experimental metal oh, it's Icelandic. Like Swedish. Per- they say that he's a Swedish man later in the movie. Sweden's in the Icelands. And I would say this is just, this is par on course for like Swedish heavy metal. It's gonna fucking... <laughs> weirdo, kind-hearted himbo up there scream at the audience for a couple hours. There you go. There's your metal concert from the Nordic countries. I, uh, <laughs> does it suit Shaggy to be into them, though? Shaggy has got the weirdest taste in music. Yes. In Mystery Incorporated, we saw he had a favorite polka band, for God's sake. Nothing is off the table for Shaggy Rogers. You, Shaggy is not allowed to be past the aux cord. When they're in the mystery machine. <laughs> no. Because you put his iPod on shuffle, and it is just literally gonna, a roll of the dice. It's going to give you so much whiplash, you're going to have to look for a personal injury lawyer. It's worse than my iPod. My next major note for Shaggy and Scooby, after we learn that he likes this metal band, they are at the circus, running away from something, and Scooby is told to slow down. And you watch it on mm-hmm. screen. No, I agree with this. With a close-up on his feet. And it's so weird. Well, also... But I don't know what they were going for. We just... Like, <laughs> didn't we just show that Shaggy was a world-class athlete? Why does Scooby need to slow down for him? Well, because they were done running now. Okay. Shaggy's just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> and then they halted. Um, I was also really upset... Uh, because Shaggy says they don't want to see anything big and hairy at the circus, and then they make a crack about the bearded lady. Of course, they they pronoun her as that. I know. That's just... It's, it, it's a bad taste. That's somehow worse than it. Like that. You're even more impersonal. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And then it we, we... at least implies it's an object of some sentience. Whereas that... It's bad all around, (laughs) and even if they had said, like her, it's like, you know what? Yeah, you're still pointed at a bearded woman. Yeah, sorry, man. She can grow a better beard than you can. Yeah, so take that, you bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Overall, we probably did dodge a bullet by not having a bearded lady in the movie. Not having a freak show in general. The animated poster they see of the freaks, the uh, carnival curiosities, I think Mm -hmm. is what the poster said. 
the the one with the very little head looks so fucking familiar. Where was she from? Like the movie Freaks or It's possible. I'm yeah, I'd have to actually take a look at it with my peepers. With my eyes. But that's one of the things about Big Top Scooby-Doo is that it very much shows the idea of a circus being in transition from the sort of, um, you know, the circus that we know and consider as being like full of like freaks and animal performances and uh, bearded ladies and into something that is leaning more towards the Cirque du Soleil. Like it's it's showing the evolution of the circus. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting tact to take, and I think they succeed with it. Looking at that picture that you have up now... Like, I'm pretty sure that the dude in the collar is just Bill Murray. That huge fucking yeah. forehead is. The, the girl <laughs> honestly reminds me of one of those puppets on the big comfy couch. So I'm not getting any sort of circus vibe from that. I'm certain that... She is a famous freak from somewhere. And I want to say it's from the 1930s movies Freaks, but I cannot say for sure. I'll, I'll leave it up to the audience. I'm sure they're probably screaming at us right now, absolutely knowing what it's a reference to. But we can't hear you. That's how this whole relationship we have works. A one-sided conversation It's how we like it. Ooh, Shaggy. At one point, starts choking on popcorn, and no one and will no, help him. No one helps. They think he's turning into a werewolf, and they're just like, nah, fuck that, I'm not yeah. getting near him. Meanwhile, he's turning purple. And speaking of fun colors, I do have a fashion report for this movie. You don't want to just have this as a separate category? I, or? I can, because I have a fashion report for everyone, and if you'd like me not to derail the conversation each time, I'll, I'll just do a fashion report at the end. All right. Look forward to that, audience. Um, Shaggy doesn't think that Sweden and Australia are real. No. I can't remember the exact conversation they were having, but it's because the heavy metal guy... He claims he's a werewolf. Is from sweet, yeah. He claims he's a werewolf, and then they're just like, "And you didn't think to mention this to us?" And he's just like, "Well, he also claims that he's from Sweden and just like Fairyland or Australia. That's not real." No, I am going to say he doesn't say Australia's not real. He says kangaroos aren't real. No, he starts with Australia. Well, he's next thing he, you'll he tell me. He on the kangaroos. The kangaroos are real. Fucking idiot. Fred is right to threaten to kick him in the head later. <laughs> um, and so then on to the actual like B plot we have in this movie. Uh, in the circus, Shaggy takes up the role as an animal trainer with Scooby as his trained dog. A, very weird because they already said they were phasing animal acts out of the circus. Now it's allowed because Scooby seems to have a mind of his own. Sure. But also then, what you have is Scooby performs amazingly well. Like, literally, a mind-blowing performance from Scooby-Doo. One of his best. Shaggy gets all the credit. This wouldn't happen. No. A crowd would not, like, be up on their feet going, like, yay, the trainer! Yeah. No. Every year when we go to the X, and we go to see the Super Dogs dog show. Yeah. I don't give a shit about the trainers. I want to see that little chihuahua try and make it over the high bar again. That's peak comedy. <laughs> Actually, now, when you say that, 
now I'm kind of back on board with with Shaggy and oh, Scooby being in the circus. No, because when I we was see agreeing the, with you, you prick. Yeah, but, but when we see the like the super dogs at the circus, we feel like oh good, like I those dogs are having fun. It's not like other animal acts. I uh, we we both agree continually that Shaggy should get no praise. And then worst of all, it goes to his head. Yeah, and he becomes this like egocentric prick. While he's he's being egocentric, he's he's at the beach with a group of fucking like, circus groupies. Mm-hmm. Don't know who the fuck wants Look, to fuck people out of the circus. But we've all, right. all heard those stories of those Atlantic City circus groupies, and they run off to get Shaggy a beach sandwich, and. <laughs> So different from a regular sandwich. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gonna have sand in it, no matter how hard you try. And he falls asleep while he waits. And he has a dream where where he dreams himself into the stupidest outfit and also transmogrifies Scooby into a human man. Yes, because Scooby gets bitten by a werewolf. And because the werewolf is half man, half dog, and usually causes a transformation of man to dog... This would cause the transformation in Scooby from dog to man. It's biologically sound. It was terrifying to behold, and I'm still not entirely sure of its point. Especially when he talks. Hey, dude. <laughs> and I didn't check the end credits, but if human Scooby was not played by Frank Welker, that is a missed opportunity. Do you have Shaggy's dream outfit in your fashion report? I do. Okay, good. It yeah. needs to be mentioned. I th- I think that's a baller outfit. I don't know why you're saying it's bad. It's circus chic, certainly. I wouldn't wear it, like, to dinner. But if I'm going to... To dinner at the circus? Oh. No, because it's, it's, it's central. It's not, you know, if a circus conductor comes out... Conductor? Is, is that, what are they called? Ringmaster. Ringmaster. If the ringmaster comes out, and he's just got, like, a chicken cordon bleu with him and he's like I'm just gonna have a little of this while I, while I conduct the circus here for you. Doesn't happen. They eat before the show. Circus critics exist in this universe and they were at the show last night. <laughs> yep. I can't help but feel that a circus critic would just be a theatrical critic that mm-hmm. like goes to a circus show. For sure, yeah. Surely there is not a section of a newspaper that is just circus critic, because I would have heard about it by now, and I would be that critic. Well, Amelia, you need to pack your bags and move to Atlantic City, the fun capital of the world, where they have their dedicated circus times. <laughs> you can be their critic. Or you could just give the circus news, the circus sports, the circus obituaries. <laughs> Anyways... There's a critic in the audience that loves Shaggy's act and praises Shaggy in the newspaper, but doesn't even get Shaggy's dog's name correct. No, calls him Scabby, for fuck's sake. Calls him Scabby. Scooby is obviously super insulted by this. That is just a literal insult. I'm also very super insulted by this. I mean, when you introduce your animal act, you always say the animal's name. Clearly and concisely but throughout they, here's the, the whole thing. show. They didn't during that one performance. They were like, here's Shaggy and his dog. Well, Shaggy should have taken it upon himself to say the dog has a name. Yeah. This is and a it's good showmanship. The, the children at the circus. 
are going to be praising the adorable dog doing tricks. Not the man standing off to the side, glad standing himself. And then, like, honestly, how many times must Shaggy treat Scooby poorly and then apologize in a heartwarming sequence at the end? Like the, like, like the solving an old mystery at the beginning of the movie, I'm bored of this story beat. Where Scooby is upset and holding a grudge? Yes. It's, it's just happening over and over again. It is tiring. But, I mean, then again, shouldn't Shaggy know better than to not be a prick? He should know better than a lot of things. Don't really have a note for it, but do want to shout out uh, the dramatic action sequence on top of the train that this movie does end with, with Shaggy and Scooby-Doo chasing a villain down on top of a train. No, they were running from the villain. Didn't they get up in his face at one point? Like, didn't they? Uh, they're running from him, and then they dip down in between the engine and the first car, and he looks over the edge, and then Shaggy stabs him in oh, the face right. with tranquilizer darts. He d that's right. Shaggy, like, played dead and then came back up for the kill. They all end up in his nose. Four heavy-strength yeah. fucking horse tranquilizer darts, all poked into the, the dude, the villain's nose. Not one of those is going to slip and hit him in the eye? Like, He's got this is remarkable aim for a moving train that you are outside of. Now, spoilers here. He's got a big nose. A lot of, lot of margin for error. You also have a big nose. And if you came out to me with five horse tranquilizers, you could get him in there. I not, believe in you. Not all at once. Some of them are going to veer off into your cheeks. Maybe one goes in the eye. I'm not sure if I'm going to trust you to jab me with a fistful of horse tranquilizers anymore. Well, then maybe we bake it in the oven and take it a special K instead of injecting it via darts. There is a civilized way to do horse tranquilizers in the comfort of your own home, Billy. And I know how to do it. <laughs> this episode brought to you by our sponsor, Kellogg's Special K Cereal. Uh, and ketamine. Get an extra nope, kick in the morning. No, nope, Kellogg's has specifically asked that we don't reference ketamine in this ad, Amelia. Well, I've <laughs> done it. Not getting the money this is why we don't get the money for these ads also i just kind of do them without waiting to be contacted first i don't know how advertising works yeah you used to send people to like shoes.com <laughs> it's a fun time <laughs> being like here's our sponsor shoes.com <laughs> yeah i'm still waiting on that free pair of shoes can we move on? Are you yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you cut most of this. <laughs> the Fred Factor. My pure baby boy. Oh my god, He's Fred. so excited for the circus. This is, a, this is a side of Fred you love to see. Everyone else is going off on, like, actual, like, cool things about Atlantic City. And Fred says... None of which they can do because they're no. all underage. <laughs> you think that's cool? Check this out. A circus! Yeah. He just... He's unabashedly loves it. They're here for a week. T to say that Fred cannot go to the circus once over Cruel. the course of the week Cruel. when they're going to drag him to other things yeah. that maybe he doesn't want to be a part of. Does he want to lounge on the beach all day reapplying sunscreen to Daphne? Probably not. Take the poor boy to the circus as compensation. And here's like, when you learn the depth of it, he took a circus arts class last summer. Like, he has trained... To be a circus performer because he loves it so much. 
He hurts a lot of people in that circus. Yes. Yeah, he, Here's where the circus obituaries come in. He first says, you know, he, he would have gotten the hang of it if he hadn't broken all those bones. And at first you're like, oh my god, Fred, you poor boy. Not his bones. He broke other people's bones. God, I love that trope. Like when someone's covered in blood and it's just like, it's not my blood. Love that. <laughs> With bones, just as good. Yeah, it it really, like, it, it threw me spectacularly. And then it's a growing point. Because Fred does really want to be involved in the circus. He gets the gang involved in the circus. He's not really given a moment to shine because of his past history there. But he just loves it so much. He gets his moment to shine when the woman trapeze artist turns into a werewolf. And then the man that hates him does a trapeze act alongside Fred. But you would think at one point that this dude is going to, like, drop Fred to his death. But then the guy, like, reasonably responds, like, do you think anyone would hire me again? He's not, he's not going to kill you. This is a job. There's also a net underneath the trapeze. I think there was a threat of that net being not properly affixed, though. Yeah, because Fred was in charge of the net, which is ridiculous. Of course Fred has the net affixed correctly. This is Fred motherfucking Jones. <laughs> God! He does ruin the illusion of the trapeze with his constant screams of terror. Mm -hmm. He's up on that trapeze, and he is he's yelling the whole time. Which I think would be fine if it were a clowning act. If you have a clown up on the trapeze and he's acting terrified... Like, the humor comes from the fact that, like, oh my god, he's acting like he's scared, but he's clearly very well trained. <laughs> the, way, the way that Fred does it just makes you think a man's in danger. Yes, he is up there against his will. Oh my god, call the fire department. He also does tightrope walking, and he's really good at it. He is. But you like, would think he wouldn't be because his center of gravity is so high up in his Dorito Man shoulders. Fred in this whole movie, like, the great thing about him is that he is just this bundle of optimism, but his limitations are just, like, laid bare constantly. My favorite quote from him in this whole movie? Of course I maybe can! It's such a 180 from what we saw in Spooky Games. Yes. Where he was like, I can't fucking do that! Don't make me do that! Here he's begging to do that. It shows that, yes, maybe Fred is written a little inconsistently. But when you have the charm of Frank Welker behind you, you can do anything. Oh, like when he's describing what happens to everyone else in his circus class? I took a circus arts class last summer. And what did you learn? I worked out on the trapeze a bit, but uh, I ended up breaking a lot of bones. You seem to have healed well. What? Oh, not my bones. I was supposed to catch this guy and uh, I dropped him onto someone. And they both fell into some other people. That's Ted! Who hit the tent support, which tipped the popcorn cart, which set fire to the audience risers, which collapsed with 48 people sitting on them. Well, I'm sure it wasn't your fault. No, it was. But I did learn a valuable lesson about the trapeze. Which was? Don't drop people. Oh, and don't fall. It's actually probably a pretty bad line delivery because there's very little inflection in anything, but combined with all the movements, it's, like, so fucking charming. Well, and, it, and it's the mix of, like, he's talking about some serious shit, but he's saying it in that very, like, hi there, I'm Fred Jones kind of voice. Like, I definitely think that Frank Welker had people cracking up in the studio from his line delivery. Also, 
just the big twist where Fred needs to create a trap, and he suddenly realizes he's standing underneath a trapeze net. Yeah. Like, what do you usually do? <laughs> oh, usually I just throw a net on them. Hey, <laughs> that's a pretty big net. <laughs> also, okay, there's a part where Shaggy is talking nonsense, and the uh, owner of the circus is just like, has he got a head injury? Has he been kicked in the head? And Fred is just oh, like, God. not yet. <laughs> like, There's a Fred, bit of a threat there. Fred's about to kick Shaggy in the head, and it's warranted. But, you know, you don't often see this level of violence from Freddy. Also violent, the scene where he plows a dumpster with the mystery machine and accidentally buries Daphne and Velma under a pile of garbage. They are technically under the garbage, but they are also in a manhole. Yeah. So they've been protected from the garbage. I, exactly, yeah, they're not exactly getting covered in garbage, but I do imagine that, that dumpster was, like, right on the manhole, and now they are trapped in the sewers. Fred also, at the beginning of this movie, when he gets Shaggy and Scooby to agree to help, looks so fucking smug that he manages to get it, as if there was any doubt in anyone's mind that eventually these two were gonna help in yeah. some way. More smug Freddy. Like, at the end of that one Mystery Incorporated episode where he heists his own parents and he's so fucking smug. Mm, exquisite. But the, you see, My favorite he Freddy. He pulls it off because it's an innocent smugness much of the time. Um, I'm sorry, did you miss the line where he threatened to kick Jaggy in the head? His beautiful innocence Or is... when he broke into the circus. Because <laughs> he was just like, well, it's not open yet, but I'm going in. Yeah, that was that was weird. I was like, Fred, yeah, I we want to go to the circus, but maybe we'll wait till it's open, buddy. Uh, the Daphne dilemma. I only have two things for Daphne. Uh, I have I have a few here. Uh, my first is that her motorcycle skills come back into play. Yes, she has a motorcycle act, and also ends up as a clown. And can I just say, clown Daphne, cute as a fucking button. Absolutely cute as a goddamn button. Is she cuter than Scrappy as a clown? Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to take anything away from Scrappy that I possibly can, and I will take <laughs> away my one moment of praise that I ever gave that little shit. She, do she does have, like, the, the little dress, the little, like, button clown nose. That It works really well. But I just do want to say, her motorcycle act, like, holy shit, she fucking rocks. I, I really like that we did not forget that Daphne is a badass motorcycle rider, and she's been doing tricks like this since she was a kid. Tricks like this being loop-de-loop, -loop, straight up at a 90-degree angle, across a tightrope, and then in a giant iron sphere that yeah. she zips around. Yeah, she rides that cage. <laughs> um, and she also, here's the other aspect I love of Daphne, she knows the Russian classics. She's an intellectual. That's how she wins over one of the clowns. By knowing uh, a Russian classic. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, oh, finally someone with class. All right. You can be a clown. <laughs> As if it's this huge, great yeah. honor. And here's the thing. Daph so Daphne, like, auditions with a motorcycle act. And the circus is like, all right, cool. That's perfect. You can go bunk with the clowns. <laughs> yeah. Like, everyone's getting shown around to who they're working with. And the ringmaster lets her off at the clown area. Doesn't even, like, introduce her to the clowns. It's just like, they're there. Yeah. And runs off. But, I mean, it it works. And it's an area where I think her danger-prone side comes into play. Because I don't know, like, how much of her clowning around is an act. 
and how much of just like Daphne being like, whoops. The act involves an umbrella. At all times, it is an umbrella-based act. For you see, the umbrella represents intolerance. Yes. Yes, we know this. This is true. (laughs) And uh, the first time they do the act, it goes from Daphne getting her umbrella stuck in the clown car immediately to Daphne rocketing around in that clown car outside of it out of control. Yeah, like, she's tried to take the umbrella out of the car, but it's, like, pulled the gear shift or something else that happens in they cars. Like, they, like, crash into the main pole that's holding up the big top, and I'm just like, well, this can't be the act. <laughs> and yet it is. And yet it is, because then the umbrella comically pops out the sunroof. Ha ha ha! Daphne's got serious <laughs> neck injuries now, but whatever. <laughs> there's, there's a couple other moments I really like of Daphne. One after Shaggy screamed something and she just says, Thanks, Shaggy. Deaf in this ear now. It was a very real moment. And also, when she's super hyped to jump on a moving train. Shaggy and Scooby are, like, hesitant to jump on the moving train. Yeah. And Daphne's like, hurry up, I'm next. Yeah. And Hurry th- up, guys, I want to jump onto the fucking train. Very sadly, she doesn't get to do it. No. They should have said, well, all right, then you can go. And then Daphne could have had a fist fight with this villain on top of a mooning train. Would have been so damn cool. And uh, then my last note for Daphne is that her favorite moment of every mystery is when the villain says that they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for them. Gives her a warm, fuzzy feeling. She likes to be recognized for her work. Who doesn't? Moving on to Velma. A sassy Velma once again returns. Yep, very much so. They're walking around the fairgrounds. Shaggy and Scooby are like, well, what are you doing? We don't want to find the werewolf. And she says that, uh, you know, they have to find it. That's their shtick. Yeah. And Shaggy and Scooby are like, but I want to run. And she just like dead ass looks him in the face and says, then let's find it so you know which way to run. (laughs) A A good way of manipulating them, if I do say so myself. She She spends a lot of this episode... Doing research, um, which I am going to say, nice of her to ask permission before using someone's computer. She didn't need that computer. She already knew exactly what she was talking about. She just pulled up some visual references exactly. for everyone yeah, else. it was for everyone else's benefit. Velma knows all werewolf cases across all time and all countries. <laughs> I mean, at one point, when you're in the line of work that they are... You spend your downtime just sort of brushing up on the classics. And I can see her reading some Bavarian werewolf tales just for the next time they encounter a werewolf. And here she's like, great, that was worth it. It's like, you know, maybe you're not always like punching those monsters in the face, but you're pumping iron for the time that you can, that you are. Is it that is... Research is just pumping iron for your brain. Okay, but it just feels like... You could have stopped doing that arm movement of pumping iron a lot quicker than you did. <laughs> I was seeing if you had any reaction to it. Velma's role in the circus is that of a human cannonball. They couldn't have started her somewhere more rudimentary. I feel like she just went with an outfit that she liked and didn't really realize what it was for. She was offered the chance to work the churro stand, and I think I would have taken it. Well, that's true. That's true. I do appreciate the fact that they they said if you're not comfortable with it, you can do something else. She's also not comfortable around deep frying oil, so... It's very dangerous. Instead, she climbs into a cannon 
and gets ready for it to shoot. And I don't think I was ready for what happened after it went off. Velma's clothes go flying, and Velma remains in the cannon, nude. <laughs> She's working with the strong man. The strong man is part of the human cannonball act, because he's the one that loads and fires the cannon. Yes. He puts her into the cannon barrel and says something along the lines of, loosen up. And then he fires the cannon, out comes Velma's clothing, she's out the top of the cannon, and says, I think I tensed up. Well now, the tenser you are, wouldn't that keep your clothing on better? I, I, I can't help but feel that loosen up is a bad bit of advice to give a human cannonball. What I'm sort of imagining is that she was there with her hands and feet pressed firmly against the sides of that cannon. And then just the sheer air pressure, like, ripped her clothes off of her and sent them a-flying as she remained firmly in place. How do human cannonballs work? Because actual cannonballs get the velocity and trajectory that they do because they fit snugly in the barrel. Well, there has to be some sort of... an air pressure. I always thought a human cannon was more like... Okay, there's a little bit of pyrotechnics in the back to make it look like it fired, but you're really getting sprung off like a big spring or something. It could be that. That would actually make a lot of sense. And then or... that way, your human cannonball also isn't suffocating from, like, yeah. carbon monoxide. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, maybe they're just standing on, like, a sabot inside of the cannon. But big spring kind of makes more and more sense to me. Human cannibalists. Re Ooh. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't... <laughs> And now we're pissed all over again. I know. It's not the pronunciation I'm worried about. Cannon, cannonball, cannonballiers? <laughs> cannonballiers. Hum humans. Who are also cannonballs. Right in. And let us know how it works. I like, I like cannonballier. It's, <laughs> it's like sommelier. It's like, ooh, you're, are you someone who appreciates wine? No, I am shot out of a cannon. Velma has a good rapport with the strong man. She does, and I like their relationship. Although she does open their relationship by catching sight of him and screaming in terror. And then he just very calmly reassures her. He is just a large man, but a nice man. Strongest man in Quebec. Yeah. Some good Canadian representation up in here. Everyone in Quebec is in a circus. It's unavoidable if you're <laughs> from Quebec. Maybe we should move there and you could be a circus critic. <laughs> um, we have a lot of minor mentions. We certainly do. I have written them in mostly chronological order of their appearance. Yep. So we should start with the security guard of the jewelry shop and the two cops that show up also help with the jewelry robbery. Yes. I've put them under the same category because they're all worthless bastards. <laughs> They're they worthless your... bastards, the, listeners. The one says, like, doesn't that werewolf look like your mom? And then the button on that joke is the other guy going, yeah, does kind of look like my mom. Like, the guard is asleep on his job. These cops show up just to make yo mama jokes. What year is it? What year of our Lord is it right now? And yo mama jokes are being told in a Scooby-Doo movie. I believe it is 2012. Ridiculous. Yeah, 20... October 9th, 2012. Moving on. Marius Brancusi. He is the owner of the circus. He's he's definitely got some uh, Romani flavoring yes. to him. They're definitely going for a distinct... What's the word I'm looking like for? Like an archetype or a trope? Yeah. 
to like, put it nicely. I was a little worried when I first saw him. Um, but then I think, like, the more we saw his character, he is someone who's inherited this circus. It's like a family tradition. And now he is trying to modernize it to be a more uh, inclusive, non-abusive circus. Uh, he's, uh, he's I like that. I like I like him. He's phasing out the animal acts, and he's cleaned the toilets. Yes, that was an important part of the process. Good man. <laughs> he is a bit of an ass, though, because as soon as the circus starts getting any kind of good reviews, he's just like, has absolutely no patience for these children trying to solve the mystery that's going to help him. Well, okay. and <laughs> Admittedly, Velma goes pretty hard at accusing him. She finds this book, and she's like... Uh-huh, you said you didn't know this shit, but this shit's in the book, and the book was near you, so what do you have to say about that? And he's like, away. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair, because that book was planted there. It was planted there, yes, but I still think that he was too short with them when that Phil guy came along. Uh, yes, very much so. And then just throughout it, really insulting Shaggy and Scooby. <laughs> Oh, but I don't think we hated that as much. I think we were like, yeah, get him. <laughs> uh, my next minor mention is the baboons. Uh, well, I wrote down Whitney Doubleday, which is the animal, ex-animal trainer of this circus. Yes. He's in charge of the baboons. Played by Craig Ferguson. So that was a joy for me. I like Craig Ferguson a lot. He hands out treats to everyone he meets. And he's retiring... Because of the abuse in just the general industry of animal training, he seems to happily accept that his act is a thing of the past and is happy to just get these animals to a nice home and to walk away with it after a long career. Which is probably, like, he says that he, his training never relied on, like, abusive tactics. Yeah. Which, I mean, anyone can say that. My mother talking about how she raised me as a teenager would say yeah. that, but it's obviously a lie. There, but like, there, is a, there is intentional abuse, and there is abuse that you don't really think of as abuse. But he's saying that he never trained them that way. He had a different training style than, like, some of the quote-unquote bad eggs of the industry. Mm -hmm. So he should want these animals to be free. Yeah. Because he should love them. Like, you always get the sense that at an evil circus, the animal trainers despise the animals that they train. But here, like, Whitney Doubleday is very likable and very much seems to love his animals and care about them and just happily accepting, like, look, we can't do this anymore. I had a good run, but I am, thankfully, the last of my breed. And, like... A circus, that's a very tight-knit family. I'm sure yeah. they'd find him another job if he wasn't, like, retirement age. Yeah, but he he looked it. He had some lines. Then again, you could say that about me. <laughs> Am I close to retirement age? Boy, I hope so. Uh, the next character would be Archambault, the strong man. He's very kind of Elma. I like yes. that he's kind of Elma. He has a line later where he says, With vigor... Oh, I've never punched a horse before because he's super excited to punch a horse now. Yes. But if you need to say I've never punched a horse before, that is a lie. You have punched a horse. Yeah, or like at least have punched some other like atypical things to punch. And this guy, he's definitely punched a horse. And I, here's Everyone from Quebec has punched a horse. 
Archambeau as well, like super nice to Velma, is someone that we like for a, a large majority of this. He offers to make his cowboy routine into a space cowboy routine to fit in with Celestia, uh, which is like the new like Cirque du Soleil act they're going for. And it's uncomfortable. Part of it involves him carrying a horse on his back. Which because feels he's a very strong man. yeah, so it's very like like classic like oh here's a crazy circus act. The audience are just horrified and distressed by it. Yeah, because because Marius he says he's phasing out the animal acts because people are uncomfortable with them nowadays. And then you watch the strong man carry a yeah. horse around on his back, and the ringleader's just like, "See, I told you." Like, this is uncomfortable as fuck. I actually (laughs) really like that, that the movie doesn't just tell us that, but it actually shows us an example. And it's like, yeah, this is why we gotta change. I bet you of all the animal acts in the circus, the horses probably have it the best off. Probably. Because that's just like a, that's a riding equestrian type thing. They probably don't have it any worse off than an Olympic equestrian horse Mm -hmm. that has to jump over shit. Uh, What about Oliverio and Lena? Uh, he's a big, scary-headed man, and she's a trampy blonde lady. (laughs) He gets jealous when men pay attention to Lena, and she gets flirty when ignored. And Fred's just stuck in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, because Fred is put on trapeze duty. He has to make sure the net's fine for these two. And so she comes over and starts, you know, giving him the fuck me eyes. And he's just looking anywhere but those (laughs) eyes. And that that makes her flirt more. And that makes Oliviero want to kill him. Uh, Next, the clowns, Cisco and Schmutko. Yes. (laughs) They're like a Penn and Teller routine. 100%. The teller clown is Cisco. He seems to live under a pile of rags. <laughs> we are first introduced to him popping out of a pile of rags. Yeah, he is like like a clown's clown. A, a, like a, embodies the role of the clown, only communicates through honks of the horn that everybody in the circus understands. Yeah, it's to, like... to the point where Fred understands him. It's a beaker and honeydew situation. Yeah. And it's hilarious because there's one part where he just honks and honks away and away and away. And then everyone's like, that's a good point. Classic gag. It's a gag we love. Schmutko is the clown who would much rather be performing Russian classics. Yes. He took clowning because he needed a paycheck. I mean, haven't we all? I've more or less gotten into clowning for a paycheck my my nose has been a little red from time to time their whole routine is cisco being hit once on the head with an umbrella yes the umbrella once again symbolizes intolerance represents intolerance in a major way and now daphne witnesses the routine and she doesn't like it but it got a laugh out of me so successful Clown routine, I think. Yeah. All you have to do is just like really strongly set that up. Like really make it all right, here's the clowns, here's the clowns, here's the clowns. You all ready for these clowns? Bonk. Here's the clowns. One of them's super disgruntled and he thinks he's making a big powerful statement with his act. Bonk. That's that was hilarious. It got yeah. a yelp of a laugh. If they, out of if they were to just play out that scene, the irony of it would get the laugh. Total but. success. I don't agree with Daphne at all. I don't think Daphne improved the umbrella bit. 
She just added some bells and whistles. Well, how do you feel about Phil? Call him Phil. Everyone does. <laughs> Even his own children. My, That's my, very sad, Phil. My first note for Phil. Business. He is the band's manager. What band? The wolf one. Yeah, Wolf's Moon. Yeah. He, at first you see him like going into a trailer with Marius and you think like, oh shit, is he going to sell the circus? Is that some back dealing going on here? No. He has rented out the circus for one night only for a private performance for Wolf's Moon. Which is crazy. I mean, why not just give them a matinee, a private matinee, and then open for the night? Yeah. Because surely they have to go do a performance in the night at some point. Mm -hmm. Do they want to do a performance right after getting out of the circus? It was at night, wasn't it? Yeah. Hmm. And now this takes us to the band, specifically the lead singer whose name I do not have written down. Wolfric. Wolfric. Wolfric is my favorite goddamn character (laughs) ever. I love this man. He is the type of like 70s rocker who took way too much acid and melted his brain. Yeah. And now he's just a gentle, stupid idiot that I want to kiss gently on the forehead. (laughs) It's like when when you would go and see videos of Ronnie James Dio at his home. And he was feeding his cats. Like, it's that kind of man where he's just like, like a, just, just a nice fella, but, you know, absurdly rich. And so doesn't exactly have to live in the real world anymore. The dude has five black diamonds. He's living his best existence, despite having melted his brain on hard drugs. And I can get behind that. Uh, some of my favorite lines from him include... Hey, that's a train! (laughs) Choo-choo! And also, the very end of this movie is, uh, he he wanted to thank the gang. And so there's a private performance just for the gang. And he sings them a special song that he has written just for them. And the lyrics go something like, I said I'd write them a song, but I forgot to! Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I love him. He is so charming in his stupidity. He loves his manager. All the rest of his band and groupies and hangers-on and everything run out when the werewolf starts attacking him. But Phil, like, fights off the werewolf with, like, a stick or something. And he's just like, you're the only one that stood by me. And, like, gives him a hug. And it's just like, aww. (laughs) You're like a son to me, Wolfric. A wealthy Swedish son with a tenuous grip on reality. I love it. I want more. I want more of this band. <laughs> okay, do you think Wolf's Moon could come back in the same way that the Hex Girls have? Oh my god. They should. <laughs> they should. Also, can I just point out that Wolfric is the only one who got the umbrella represented in Tolerance. Yeah. So he, he knows it. He knows these things. Uh, and, and I also, I want to mention at the very end of this episode, the train conductor. Because bad guys are getting away on the train. Uh, Shaggy and Scooby are up top. Fred has gunned the mystery machine so he can be, like, up front with the conductor to signal to him. And the conductor's just like, oh, it's nice to see people wave at trains. Toot toot! It's nice to see young people interested in the railroads. (laughs) Toot toot! (laughs) You fucking idiot. (laughs) Love him, love him, love him, love him. And then, was there anybody else 
There was uh, a cop with some weird hair, but I don't think that's worth mentioning. You just did. I've wasted our time. Moving on then to the villain at last. The werewolf. Soon to become wolves. Yes. Uh, it's, it's like a big bad wolf style. Very long snout. Um, big eyes in a way that it's kind of furry-like, yeah, I was gonna say. I hate the eyes. And They're I, too big. I bet you that werewolf had to go through a redesign to be less scary. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Because and its actual form and its snout, if you put, like, some beady black eyes on there, he'd really get you going. Yeah. I, I feel like that's probably what happened. The eyes were just the easiest thing to change mm-hmm. to make it more kid-friendly. Unfortunately, now they're fucking stupid looking. Um, The whole thing is that, like, the werewolves infect people, so you have members of the circus going missing, and then new werewolves appear wearing their signature clothes, like they were wearing Schmutko's coat or Lena's leotard. One thing I don't understand, even after watching the whole thing, why are they always after Shaggy and Scooby? They seem to be following Shaggy and Scooby around very specifically. I want to put that the werewolves end up being Whitney Doubleday, the animal trainer, his baboons that have been trained, Mm -hmm. and uh, Rochambeau. They're together in it, and I think... The strong man was going after the jewels as just a thief. I think Whitney just had some fucking anger issues. He's getting fired for an animal act, but now Marius has hired a new animal act. Can I just say, the whole, like, reveal of the villains here is so well done. First of all, the fact that that Doubleday and Archambeau are goddamn likable throughout the whole of this. Like, I really like both their characters. And then when Doubleday is revealed, it's like, holy shit. But then he gets tranked. He gets carted off. The gang, like, go to leave. And they realize there was another piece of the puzzle that Archambeau was part of it as well. And then, like, they go to the... They drive to see him on the train. He's causing shit there. It adds a whole, like act of action after the villain reveal. Doubleday says that they won't catch us. He says us. Yeah. And you think it's the baboons. But the baboons have already been dealt with because their their sit-down word has been uttered and now they're just sitting down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Archambeau gives himself away because he calls it a black diamond when... What he should have known before being kidnapped was that they were looking for a carbonato. Just, like, I don't... I like the false ending of this yeah. movie. Oh, I love it. I don't like the werewolf so much, but everything about these actual villains is fucking great. Like, I love... I think I like Doubleday and Archambeau better than the werewolf as a villain. You know what I mean? The werewolf seems... odd... Do Romani people have, like, werewolf legends and stuff? I mean, it came from Bavaria, the way that they brought it up here. And I I feel like in time... I don't know if you could find a more circus-themed villain, unless you wanted to go with, like, the ghost clown or something like that. Yeah. It needed to be a villain that fully obscured the face, and that there were multiples of. 
It could have even been, if they're phasing out the animal acts because it's inhumane, have the main villain be the ghosts of dead and abused circus animals. I know that's very, very sad. Yeah, I think that's too sad. (laughs) You could work it into a a Scooby-Doo movie, I'm sure of it. Is this a feasible plan? How is each werewolf controlled by one baboon? Are baboons much larger than I imagine them to be? I do not think they are nine foot tall werewolf (laughs) size. Okay, like maybe two baboons per costume could work, but there's three uh, other werewolves besides the one that Doubleday is dressed as, and there was only four baboons. Yeah, it it makes it out to be one baboon inside of each costume. That is my sticking point on this. Unfeasible for baboons. <laughs> it's the number of because ba- for me, it's it's the ability of the baboons to <laughs> such a fucking fun word to say. It's just their ability to carry out these tasks. I think especially you put them in that costume, they're they're not gonna be like, ooh, I need to go get the diamonds. They're gonna be like, oh, I'm hot. It's <laughs> dark in here. <laughs> That's why we put eye holes in costumes okay. 2.0. Um I uh, don't think that the baboon werewolves ever went after the jewels. It was only Doubleday's werewolf that so ever went after any after anyone. They were just the ones who were around here causing a general ruckus. That's I think more so. that's more feasible actually. I don't know how baboons are on the trainable scale. I'm going to say pretty low cuz they're pretty aggressive violent creatures in general. I mean not in general, but like it when the matriarch of a baboon squad dies like there is there can be upwards of years of warring between all the other females trying to take her place (laughs) they didn't go into that in this movie no that happened at the toronto zoo recently i think i did hear about their oldest matriarch baboon died and they thought the daughter would just you know go into the role but then another bitch came up and was like yo yeah i'm queen of the monkeys now and they had to like violently duke it out and the keepers were like we have to let them do this Do you remember that one time we went to the zoo in the winter and one of the baboons had a tiny itty bitty little baby? I do. And she ran over to the window and like smooshed the baby right up against the glass for us to see Really wanted you to see. Was very proud of her child. Yes. And the little baby is so cute. I put my finger on the glass and he tried to lick it. (laughs) It's one of my favorite memories. If I ever lost that, I'd be heartbroken. The, uh... The gorillas one winter also had a baby that they brought up to the glass to show us. I think that was the same trip to the zoo. Yeah, everyone just had babies. We had a magical day. And then the best part about the gorilla was she let us see the baby, but then a guy came along with with a big-ass camera, camera and she turned her back and wouldn't let him see the baby. She knows what a camera's about. She doesn't want her baby's soul getting stolen. That's what it's about. Anyways, Uh, uh, there's some fun primate memories that me and Billy have. You can hear more. Uh, <laughs> nowhere else. <laughs> what? Uh, where are we talking about this villain? Uh, tear scale. I think you're right on the money that these werewolves were probably changed to be less scary. I was more affected once they were revealed. When our Shambo said that he's wit- like, ooh, I've never punched a horse before. That's a fucking villain moment. That's a scary moment. The werewolves, I'm not in love with. They would go low marks for me. I'd probably give them a four. Yeah, I'll give them a four. I'll do the same as you. But, like, Archambault and Doubleday? You know what I would like? I think the only thing I would like more is if Doubleday was innocent. 
if he was, like, just put into that costume and was like, hey, what's going on? And then tranked and, and like, totally framed by Archambeau. But, I mean, that's that's just me having my heart broken over someone I thought was a nice man betraying me. All right, then. Yeah, sorry, just letting you into my heart. (laughs) Do you have any other thoughts or feelings on this movie? One, and it's a fairly big one, it's about the idea of a circus story in general, that when you have a circus story, you always have to see the circus act. Yes. It's like having a music, like, one with bands. You need to see them rock a song. Uh, Like, a third of this movie is just watching the gang as circus performers, and it's it's a low point. I don't know, I like circuses and stuff, but to always have to see this, the circus act, it just, I don't know, it feels lazy. I, I get that. I think they did this one in an interesting way, uh, apart from the Shaggy and Scooby subplot. But, like... When I say that a third of this movie is a circus act, it's not a continuous scene. Like It just keeps going back to we, circus stuff. We have to watch the opening night act where the gang are doing it for the first time, and then we have to watch them do it all again for a private performance for the band. We already watched this. Right. That's, 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 that's a very valid point. Overall, though. Did it affect your ranking? Is it a, did it change your mind of whether it was a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? No, because I liked other elements more than I disliked having to watch their circus act twice. Right. I like Daphne as a clown. I love Wolf's Rick. He is just the best. I want more of him. He's awesome. The opening was fantastic. That song that plays over the opening. Yeah. It's going to be our opening music for the podcast here. I hope and Wolfric's might, song is the end. It might just go on my phone so I can listen to it later. <laughs> yeah, and I I really liked the niches that all the members of the gang fell into here. Daphne Velma hiding in the sewers was just a, a weird but pretty fun little note. And just the ending of that mystery. So good. Like, it's rare in Scooby-Doo that I'm like, ooh, you got me with a twist. What is this? And I remember when we first watched this movie, it was like, oh, they caught him. But there's still, like, 20 minutes left. What's happening here? <laughs> and, it, and it was really good. Like, it's, it gets a Scooby-Doo absolutely from me. Strong Scooby-Doo from me. That's, that's, I think that averages out to be a very clear representation of this film. Listeners, if you'd like to reach out to us, we can both be found on Twitter. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia, and we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Dues. You can find all our old episodes streaming on our WordPress, our Tumblr, and our YouTube, all under Scooby Dears or Scooby Don'ts. We have a Patreon and a Kofi where you could throw us a couple dollars if you like what we do here. I have my own personal YouTube channel under Fatal Amelia where I do spooky stuff. Uh, and, and uh, Instagram tags, we'll just start throwing those on there. I'm at Fatal Amelia, Billy's at Billy Seaguire on Instagram. No the there. Nope, because he couldn't keep it consistent. <laughs> I, th- I think I tried. I don't know why I don't have it though. Was there a character limit for Instagram, maybe? It's possible. Very possible. What's coming up next, Billy? Thank you. Coming up next, 
Maybe you could have this information ready to go. Well, yeah. Coming up next is another DVD special episode, Haunted Holidays. Whether those holidays are Christmas, Halloween, or Arbor Day, I don't yet know. I hope it's St. Patrick's Day. I don't think we've gotten enough spooky leprechauns yet. Genuinely, I don't think we have. Can you name an episode with a spooky leprechaun? No. There's one with a very cute leprechaun. Yeah. But not a spooky one. Get on those spooky leprechauns, Scooby-Doo. And on that note... That's it from Scooby-Dooby-Us. Scooby-Dooby-Us! Take it away, Wolf's Moon. You didn't do your fashion report. <gasps> Wolf's so... Moon, do not no. take anything. Nobody take it. That, w- that would be a breach of contract between me and the listeners who need my takes on the fashion, for there are many. First of all, Scooby-Doo, probably the easiest outfit to cover. He is just sort of dressed like a circus seal. He has a ruff around his collar, and he has a big old pointy hat. I guess you could call it clownish. Shaggy, on the other hand, is dressed as some sort of future man. Like, he has this yellow and green future suit with a high, high collar. And, like, I'm, like, I don't mean high collar, like, around the ears. I mean, like, a foot over the top of the head. Yeah. It's, it's ovular. And that's even nothing compared to Dream Shaggy, where he is wearing a pink corset and a circus jacket with low-riding white pants and a top hat. It, it's, it's a bold look. This is how Shaggy envisions himself if he had the freedom to fully express himself (laughs) and wanted to put in the effort. But ordinarily, he's just in that, you know, baggy green number. Maybe there's always a pink corset underneath there. I don't know. That's a mental image I don't want. (laughs) Fred, of course, is often seen here in sort of a strongman thing. It's, It's a light blue leotard with a yellow sunburst, accented, of course, with the ascot. I wouldn't say it's strong, man. I would say it's just your standard leotard for a gymnast. Gym, gymnast works. I wrote that before seeing what he actually did, so I was sort of assuming that Fred was going to be a strong man. But no, he's a trapeze artist. Daphne, similarly, also has two. Her first is a purple leotard with light leggings. I did note that she put on flats. Not something she always does, but makes sense for a circus. And then her clown outfit. We already went over the fact that her little clown dress is adorable. She's got a red clown nose and a witch's hat. That color scheme is purple and yellow. So color scheme changes a little bit right there. But I think it works for her fabulously. And then Velma. The the hottest of messes. I don't know where she got her costume. She's the human cannonball. It's a layered dress and jacket combo with helmet. Uh, her Her colors are blue, yellow, orange, and red. It's not just like she's got a leotard on and then she's got a jacket and then she's got like a layered tutu type thing. But it's not a tutu that goes straight out. It's a tutu that like falls in For layers. For me, it feels like a tutu dress. Yes. The, a number of layers that a prim southern belle well, would wear. You know, we, we know it's one piece though because it does come off. And then fashion report, Velma is nude uh, with some tussled hair. It's a new look. And Very bold. Not one I think we'll get a lot. And I think that's all the costume variants I had. I hope everyone enjoys me listing clothes that were worn. Now, Wolf's Moon, take it away. 
Hello, Cleveland! Right. Hello, you guys! Are you ready to rock? Yes! 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 Well, I need a minute. Song. 